0: And when life gets hard, we're looking at the courage of Ruth, a young lady who loses her husband. And it's hard to know which way to go when things are difficult in life. Think about it, when the most difficult moments of life hit you, it's paralyzing. Where are you, God? Where do I go from here? And you feel lost. Karen and I, both have different perspectives of how to get to a destination different ways karen's my wife and she always maps it out she always has the address for gps right she's ready to roll me i like to feel my way to where i'm going just a lot of men are like me aren't they just no we don't need that we i can figure this out and, and I have a question for you. Who do you think does better when it comes to reaching the desired destination at the appropriate time? Yeah, obviously Karen. Uh, and I've learned that just getting a little closer to the windshield doesn't help. I don't know why I do that. No, it's right here somewhere, you know, that, that thing. But I often find myself off course and late, and Karen rarely finds herself that way, unless I insist that we don't use instructions. And... and so, so one time I was lost, Karen's so organized, she's, she's my administrative assistant as well at work, which is really great because I can pray and the Holy Spirit touches me and if I need a kiss, I tell Karen, it, it, she makes me feel better, you know. And, and so, so, so we love working together and some can't do it, but we, we love it and the Lord makes it work for us. We have giftings that, uh, that just mesh perfectly. And uh, when I go on a trip, She'll even give me the addresses to every destination. So when I get that rental car, all I have to do is hit it and the directions are for me. And then if I know I'm going to an appointment with this guy in a different city, I hit that address and I'm just on my way. It's all set up for me. And one time I'm in Washington, D.C. on a trip, leaving at 5 in the morning, which is 2 a.m., our time here, and, and heading out to Baltimore. The airport's a little over an hour from where I'm at, and that was the best flight in for the best price. As I'm heading there, I realize I've lost my way a little bit. I'm going from memory, you know, like there's a big red building there, and turn there. That that doesn't always work if it's unfamiliar, right? And so I thought, man, I better pull over and get this address. So I hit the Baltimore airport, and I take off on the highway, and that English lady, I don't know how she knows everything, but she starts talking to me, right, and telling me where to go. And she says, there's an accident on this freeway. I'm going to reroute you. Now, that's something I couldn't have known, right? Because there was no, nothing stopped in front of me. Heard later that traffic was stopped there for two hours. I would have missed that flight. And so she sends me down this highway and then onto another highway and another highway. I changed three times to different highways in five minutes. And the, the the third time I felt completely lost. Nothing felt right. I felt like I was going the opposite direction that I needed to go. But I thought, well, my only hope is to trust this thing now. And so as it kept telling me where to go and, and, and which direction to move, I listened and within an hour, unbelievably right on time, there was a sign that said Baltimore Airport pulled in and everything was good. I trusted that GPS, but it never felt right. Yet it was. I think when we go through hard times... God would guide us at times, and we feel the same way as he guides us. I call it God's positioning system. There's another GPS, and he would would have us to know that he would lead us step by step in life, and even when life is hard and difficult, sometimes there's an accident that he'll prevent if we'll follow his way. Other times, he's just getting us to the desired destination without wasting time, right on course, right on time and God wants to help you as you go through your difficulty and he wants to lead you and guide you. What do you do when life gets really hard? How do you know which way to go? Let's look at what the word says here in Ruth 1. Here's a lady, a couple of ladies who had some tremendous pain. Now, Elimelech <clears throat> Naomi's husband, remember that name Elimelech, Elimelech, Elimelech rather, died And she was left with her two sons. They married Moabite women, one named Orpah and the other Ruth. After they had lived there about 10 years, and let me add that the land of Moab was the arch rival, the arch enemy in war to the Israelites. But they had gone over there. Whether it's by the leading of the Lord, we can't tell. Perhaps as we look at the rest of the story. Verse 5 both Malan and Kilion died. And those, those are the husbands of, their, of her daughter-in-laws, Naomi's. And Naomi was left without her two sons and her husband. Doesn't get much worse than that in life. You lose your husband, and then you lose your two sons. You have no provision because in those days, the women were provided for by the men. Your shelter, your food, everything's in jeopardy. You don't know what to do. God, where are you? I don't think God minds us asking where are you but I think he wants us to know at the same time that he loves us and he's going to lead us and bless our lives and these ladies follow step by step without her husband and sons to provide for her Naomi goes back to her homeland her two daughter-in-laws head back with her because their husbands have died but Naomi decides she wants to put their future ahead of hers So when life gets hard, what do you do? Here's four things. The first thing is seek God with all your heart. Now that seems like an obvious and an easy thing, but there's a discipline here because often when a loved one dies, when something goes wrong, when we lose a job, when nothing's working out, when we feel like we can't make it to the next week paycheck, whatever it may be, we wonder, God, where are you? You must not like me as much as you like other people. I've prayed. I've talked to you. You're failing me. If we're not careful, the enemy will whisper to our spirits and tell us that we're not loved like others and we'll start to believe that God doesn't care about us the way he cares about others. Maybe if it's a, a healing, someone gets a healing, but we didn't get a healing. And we say, God must love them more. Look, God's God's sovereign. He does heal, but he does it in his time, his way. Sometimes he heals immediately. Sometimes he has purpose in the pain for his glory, as we will see here. But he's good, and he cares about us. And so the temptation is to say, you don't care, when when what we need to do is seek him with all of our hearts and believe that he's good. Ruth 1, verse 8, Naomi said to her two daughters-in-law, Go back each of you. She's putting their welfare ahead of hers. Go to your mother's home. May the Lord show you kindness, show kindness to you, as you have shown to your dead and to me. May the Lord grant that each of you will find rest in the home of another husband. One of the daughters in law, Orpa, goes back. But the other Ruth, it's a different story for her. Verse fifteen, look, said Naomi, your sister in law is going back to her people and her gods. Go back with her. But Ruth replied, don't urge me to leave you or turn back from you. Now listen to this declaration. She's not only saying, Naomi, I'm with you, but she's saying to Naomi, I choose to follow your God. Naomi had told her about God, the one true God. And she says in the scriptures, this is Ruth saying back to Naomi, where you go, I will go. And where you stay, I will stay. Your people will be my people, and your God will be my God. She's choosing him too. Where you die, I will die, and there I will be buried. May the Lord deal with me, be it ever so severely, if anything but death separates you and me. When Naomi realized that Ruth was determined to go with her, she stopped urging her. Have you ever been there in a deep trial like these ladies? When you don't know what to do, and you don't know where to go. Perhaps you even feel lost. What are you to do at a time like this? Seek him with all your heart. Turn to the one true God and know that he will have the answers. Ruth must have heard Naomi speak of God. She must have heard that there's more to this life, there's heaven, and that God can bless even beyond the worst of times. Deuteronomy 4.29, it's a word for all of us. It says, but if from there you seek the Lord your God, It's talking about that hard place. You will find him if you look for him with all your heart and with all your soul. I didn't say it in the other services, but I'll tell you this, that when my wife and I feel that we need a breakthrough somewhere, whether it's direction, whether it's God touching someone we love, and and, and we get serious about it, we fast and we pray. Meaning that we don't eat for a 24-hour period in our case. We go from dinner to dinner the next day, and we take the times that we'd normally eat to, to spend time in prayer and seek God around the issue at hand because we know that He's the one that will bring the guidance, that His Spirit is the one that will touch the hearts of people that need to be touched. And so we need to seek with all of our heart. I haven't always done it in every situation. I've missed it sometimes too, but it's always best when we do for these key things in our lives. So fasting and prayer is something you can think about as well. When you don't know what to do or where to go, go to God and ask him. And with his infinite wisdom, with his unfathomable love towards you, he will give you guidance. She said it this way, your God will be my God. And we could say, God, you are my God. I'm gonna trust in you. And as she trusted him, she followed Naomi, And they headed towards the community of faith. And that's the next directive. What do you do when times are hard? The second point is cling to the community of faith. The followers of God. The followers of Jesus Christ. Those who believe in the word of God as the revealed standard for the people and the love letter that will touch our lives. Naomi and Ruth are hurting. And now in God's plan... They're sent back into the community that she came from. She left this community called Bethlehem. That's a familiar name, isn't it? City that we're familiar with because of Christmas. Ruth 119, so the two women went on their way. and God leads them back to Bethlehem. These are the, the family of believers. When they arrived in Bethlehem, look at the, the reception. The whole town was stirred because of them. Coming out and seeing them, the women ex- exclaimed, can this be Naomi and they they rejoice to see them again. God always leads you into community. <clears throat> be careful not to isolate yourself in your pain. <clears throat> be careful not to draw back and move away from the people of God, the family of God, the community of faith, when things are going poorly or difficult for you. Listen to how important it is in the Bible to be with a community of believers. Hebrews 10.25, let us not give up meeting together as some are in the habit of doing. But let us encourage one another and all the more as you see the day approaching. God says, I want it to be a habit. Do you know Jesus, you know, people say, uh, I don't believe in the organized church. And we have young people leaving at drastic rates, the church today, somehow believing that they can just make it on their own. No, you need the community of faith. There it is right there in the Bible. The Bible speaks of of that cord of uh, three strands of uh, a rope that where, where things are stronger because you're walking with other believers. And, 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 and we need to resist the temptation be, because it's not, the I don't even know what we mean by the organized church. Who, who cares about the organized church? We're talking about the Bible. And, and we're not talking about terminologies that aren't in the Bible. That's not in the Bible. We're talking about the people of God and being with them. And that's what God is saying here. Jesus went to the temple we're followers of Jesus Christ every Sabbath. He taught in the temple on a regular basis. He was there among the believers. The Apostle Paul was in the temple on the Sabbath. He was there. The Word of God writes and says, no, be with the believers. And you know why? You need the community of faith. We're going to go through hard times. Jesus said in John 16, in this world you will have trouble, but be of good cheer because I've overcome the world. So today, I have trouble. Tomorrow, you have trouble. But yesterday, it was someone beside you who had trouble. We all have difficult moments in our life. And what God is saying is, I want you to be there for each other. I want you to walk with each other and help each other through the hard times. And we see that right away happening for Ruth and Naomi when they enter into the community of faith, back to Bethlehem, the people of God. God will show you the past, but you've got to follow and walk it out. You'll find it in God's word. You'll find that in his counsel. He'll give you something. But he'll give you direction through the people of God. He'll give you the compassion. He'll give you the the embrace that you need to make it through. The prayer of the saints. It says pray for one another. And for those going through difficult times. And that's what we have in the community of faith. This is why we need small groups as well. In, In the New Testament, in Acts, they met in the temple courtyards with thousands In the big meeting and then they met in the home during the week the small group we love life groups because you can go over the word that's been spoken already and kind of share and discuss maybe even share some of your doubt in a safe way that's okay around here but let people who've been walking through it and have been on their journey speak into it and then pray with you and bless your life we need each other in these ways Let's pick it up in verse 1 of chapter 2. Now Naomi had a relative on her husband's side from the clan of Elimelech. Ha-ha, do you remember her husband's name? I said, remember that name. Her husband was Elimelech. A man of standing, and so this is from the same clan, and it becomes important, whose name was Boaz. And Ruth the Moabitess said to Naomi, let me go to the fields and pick up the leftover grain behind anyone in whose eyes I find favor. Just just a thought here. Uh, Historically, we know that that's the way they took care of their poor in Israel, that nation. That they would let them follow behind the harvesters and God told those who owned fields and harvested their crops to leave the corners of the field that have been harvested for the poor. So the poor would follow behind and they would go into the very corner and pick up grain so that they could make bread and live a meager existence day to day but make it through. Now let me tell you that we know for sure that Naomi and Ruth are in the will of God here as they're moving because we see this beautiful tapestry that the Lord's weaving. You know, you can't see the tapestry right in front of you, but when you back up and you see the whole thing after it's done, it's a gorgeous pattern. And something's happening here that they don't quite understand. It's bigger than they know. This pain that they're in actually has purpose. And I want to add to that, they're, they're in poverty and they're in the perfect will of God. Now, there are those who say, you know, the favor of God is having money and riches. Well, that's the least of God's blessing. You don't need it to be happy, by the way. Go to another country where there's believers living in huts, and you'll see they're happier than Americans who have so much. It's really true. <clears throat> and, and, and so, even though they're in poverty, the Lord says, hey, I'm taking you to a better place. It's true that you need to rely totally on me. It's true that I'm, I'm sending people to help you as well. Did you know he said he wouldn't meet all of our wants according to his riches? What did the Bible say? The Bible said God will meet all of our needs according to his riches. And their needs were being met and they're following faithfully and they're gonna receive a reward for it. So she goes to the fields to pick up the leftover grain and let's pick it up from there. Naomi said, you're right, Ruth. I want you to go and do that. Go ahead, my daughter. Verse three. So she went out and began to glean in the fields behind the harvesters. As it turned out, she found herself working in a field belonging to Boaz who was from the clan of Elimelech. Just then Boaz arrived from Bethlehem and greeted the harvesters. Now this is the property owner, the business owner. And he says to the harvesters, the Lord be with you, the Lord bless you. It's revealing what kind of man he is already. And they called back to him, they called that back to him. And so verse five, Boaz asked the foreman of his harvesters, whose young woman is that? And the foreman replied, she is a Moabitess who came back from Moab with Naomi. She said, please let me glean and gather among the sheaves behind the harvesters. She went into the field and she's worked steadily from morning till now except for a short rest in the shelter. So Boaz said to Ruth, my daughter, listen to me. Don't go glean in, the other, in another field and don't go away from here. Stay here with my servant girls. Somehow there's a physical attraction, I think, going on here that is obvious. But I think it's bigger than that. The first time I saw my wife, Karen, I think the Lord can give us an impression of who that one is that we're supposed to be with, and even guide us in that process, one of the most important decisions in life. Can I tell you this? Um, that, that that decision should include someone who's following after God with all their, their heart. Otherwise, they might lead you astray in a different way. When I first saw Karen in, in, in a setting, one of the first times I saw her, it was at church, and I thought she was beautiful, which, you know, does, everybody does, and and. And except for maybe her, but she is, and 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 I thought she's beautiful. I thought she loves the Lord. Her parents are great people of God. I knew who they were raised in a great family. And my thought was she was raised Pentecostal, which is the way that I was raised. And I thought, hey, those things will go together. Then I had this thought: I'd like to marry a girl like that someday. And I'd never thought that before in my life. I believe the Lord put it in my heart at that moment, and. You know, in retrospect, we can see that that's true because there's, there's been a lot of years, 33, 34, what is it, Karen? I should know this. 33, I had it right the first time. 33, and I hope for a 34th after that. And, 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 and the Lord's giving him a sense of it here. He, I don't even know if he knows that it's the leading of the Lord drawing him to this woman. This story's bigger than what you can just see on the surface here. I love it that Ruth finds herself in a field accepted. It's a big deal to her. By the way, you kind of get the idea that Ruth doesn't ever get this. She doesn't even know this man's attracted to her. It's Naomi having to say, hey, trust me in this. You need to do this, right? Uh, he's, he's interested. And you kind of get that feel as you go through the, through the story that the mother-in-law has to lead her and guide her because she's kind of clueless about what's, what's happening with the attraction here. But how good it must have felt to her just to be accepted in a foreign land. That the boss of the place where she says, yeah, take, take that for yourself. Stay close. You're accepted here. And that must have alone felt great just to receive from the owner of the fields. But, not, but there's something bigger. There's a love story here that's going on that's incredible. And there's something even bigger than that that we'll see. But God never leads you into isolation. She comes into the community of faith. And the Lord starts to work with those people around her that love God and lead her. The worst thing you could do is isolate yourself. Now, I'll tell you that I can understand that temptation um, to isolate yourself. When when I'm in pain, I really don't want anyone to know about it. People deal with their pain differently. And I'm not saying it's good. I'm just saying it's true. That I really don't like to share my pain with other people. Because I don't want you to feel sorry for me. I don't want you to worry about me. I'll even try to convince myself that God is big enough to help me through this, you know, without everybody else. And I've had to resist that temptation along the way because it's not the best place to go. I don't think you should always share with everybody what's going on with your life, but there are a few that God would call you to share with so that they might pray with you, encourage you, help you with what you're going through. And again, back to small groups and life groups, this is a place where these things can happen. I know it can happen beyond that, but that's a good place. So think about that when we sign up for life groups in this coming fall, in September. So, I've learned that I I need the community of faith too. I need to show people that there are times that I'm weak. I've had a bad week this week. I really have. It's been some very difficult things. Some of you have had worse weeks, I'm sure. But we need each other, and I remember when we were going through a trial a couple years ago, and I know I've shared about this, but it just came to my mind on community of faith again and what it's meant for our family. My daughter had gone through a surgery called an ocular decompression where they took her eyes out of her head because they were bulging because of Graves' disease, and they had to take out fatty matter and put them back in and sew it up, and she had migraines, and there was a lot of fear there because there's no guarantee about what you're going to look like when you come out of this surgery. They're just going to do their best. It was emotional for her, emotional for me. I was asking God to please let me take it. Have you ever done that for your kids? He, it's not the way he works. But Lord, me, not her. But he kept telling me I'm, I'm doing something in her. Trust me. And then I had cancer surgery where, where uh, I think I've had, I don't know, 150, 200 stitches in my lip and four, four surgeries since then. That's part of why I've grown this for now. This meaning this majestic beard that you're looking at right now. <clears throat> and um, we, we, we kind of weren't telling everybody what we were going through, just, just a few. And someone came from the church and said, you know, we heard you're going through it. Can we gather at the end of the third service and pray for you? And I said, well, sure, we love that. Third service, I don't know, 50, 70, 80 people gathered around us after the end of the service. I asked to wait till the service was over. And the Lord really touched us. It was weird. We were sitting at home, both sick from the surgeries. Our, our right upper lips were numb, Candace and I, at the same time, which is weird, right? But it was just going on. And when you guys prayed for us right here. The spirit of God touched us and covered us. And it's such a beautiful picture of the family of God as you gather around. And God doesn't want this just for me. He wants it for all of us. And we all have it here if you lean into it. These people will love you and bless you and help you. The community of faith is needed by all of us. And a word was spoken by a precious believer. She didn't say it so everyone could hear, but she whispered in my ear. And it's, it's meant. It's meant a ton to me through time. Because what she said was, and the Lord was addressing our fear. You know, he uses words, right? He gives words of knowledge, words of prophecy. These things are still for today. And how do you know that it is? Because it's beautiful in the moment and it resonates in time. It keeps coming back to you. You can judge those things, but that's how you judge. How's it feel in this moment? Is that according to the word of God? Would God say something like that? How'd that feel? And how's it resonate through time? But she whispered, into my ear. The Lord is saying that, the, that, that I'm going to read it because I wrote it down. What is is not what will be. That was the word. Well, we were worried about how we would look. You know, I know it's tough for you to, you know, Candace had more than that going on, how she would feel. Um, but my goodness, how wonderful it was to receive the blessing of the community of faith. And God wants that for you, and I want that for you as well. Ruth 2.11, now let's look at that. See how she's clinging, how, how, how um, just simply clinging to community helps. Look what happens to her. Boaz replied, I've been told all about what you've done for your mother-in-law since the death of your husband, how you left your father and mother in your homeland and came to live with the people you did not know before. May the Lord repay you for what you have done. May you be richly rewarded by the Lord, the God of Israel, under whose wings you have come to take refuge. What a beautiful Um, line that's just poetic refuge under the wings of God we find that as we come to the community of faith that God is there and his people are there to cover and to bless Ruth and Naomi are in this terrible place of not yet being delivered maybe there's someone here today you're right in the middle of the journey and it doesn't feel so good not yet delivered but I say not yet delivered with hope today because as we cling to God, as we cling to the community of faith, as, as we learn, as we grow, as we seek him, he guides us and he helps us. And you may be wondering where he is. Well, I want to tell you, just like he was working for them, he's already working on your behalf. Your story is being written and a, and a good conclusion is coming as you walk with him, trust him, and walk with the people of God. Follow step by step, day by day, and you will find that he will deliver you. Stay anchored to him. Stay anchored to the community of faith, and God will bless your life. The third directive, and I've got to move faster here. Find a mentor. One day, Ruth three one, Naomi. One day, Naomi, her mother-in-law, said to her, "My daughter, should I not try to find a home for you, where you'll be provided for? Is not Boaz, with whose servant girls you've been, uh, uh, with whose servants girls you have been?" A kinsman of ours, tonight you will be winnowing, he will be winnowing, I'm sorry, barley on the threshing floor. Wash and perfume yourself. She's telling him, girl, you get yourself ready because you're about to get a man here and put on your best clothes. Then go down to the threshing floor, but don't let him know that you are there until he's finished eating and drinking. And when he lies down, note the place where he's lying. Then go and uncover his feet and lie down. And he will tell you what to do. And listen, she's, I'm talking now about the, the third one, find a mentor. She says to her mentor, Naomi, I will do whatever you say. You say, well, that's a little much, you know, someone leading me, telling me everything. I don't think that's the, the point here. The point is that through a mentor, she found a word of God that she felt really was true, and she followed. And Ruth answered, so she went down to the threshing floor and did everything her mother-in-law told her. We need mentors. in our grow model that we've put before you in this new season. And the second level is find a mentor. The third level is be a mentor. As we're asking people to, to, to measure your growth by the way you're, you're reaching out and loving and blessing. And the mentor must be a godly person who's not self-centered. Naomi was all about her daughter-in-law's welfare. She was looking out for the good of Ruth and, and even Orpah. But God uses mentors, and he helps make men and women greater, men and women of God. But we need to humble ourselves and recognize we need someone in our life to help us. I told some of the older people in this church, and I say that with great respect because the Bible has such great respect for elders. And our generation does not have enough respect. We worship youth in our generation. But God gives a lot more esteem to the older believers who follow him and have followed faithfully for years. And here's the deal, if you're older, you have experience. You know the word of God, you love people. And remember, we're asking people to find a mentor so they may come to you and say, would you you be my mentor? I want you to pray about opening your heart up. Now I believe it's hard to have more than two or three if you're a mentor, that you're mentoring. Jesus mentored three, he discipled 12, but he mentored closely, three. And so some people might have their boat full. It might be the one that you ask for that seems obvious at first. But some of you need to say, my boat's full. And then you need to pray about whether you need to kick someone out of your boat so they go mentor someone uh, or, or, or because they're not listening and let someone in. But, but the, everyone can only do a few. But we need to be mentored. We need mentors. And we're encouraging that in this body. Your mentor, it's on the screen for you here, must be a humble person of God who loves you and accepts the call to mentor you and has no ulterior motive. Just, it's just about blessing your life. One of my mentors is Dick Foth. I bring Papa Foth here a few times a year because I think he's so deep in the word. And I know you love him just like I love him. And he's been coming for 20 years, but he's investing in my life. And I try to listen to him and I share about some of the things that I'm facing and I ask him to pray and give me counsel. Earl Book was one of my mentors. He passed away, a great man of God, a pastor, a district superintendent. He gave 50% of his salary to missions all of his ministry life. When he died, a thousand people gathered at Albany First Assembly. And it was just a beautiful service that was going on. He's laying in the casket, he's gone, he's with Jesus. And all of a sudden we hear his voice on the loudspeaker. Hello everybody, I'm so glad you came today. He recorded it two days before he died total energy i have no idea how he did this i want to thank you for coming today he says on you know on the intercom system and and and, and the sound system and he, he says i was just thinking what could we do to here here today for one last thing uh, you know as i'm going and i thought wouldn't it be wonderful if we took one more offering for missions can we do that today <laughs> and man we emptied everybody emptied everything they had and i think 30,000 bucks went to missions out of the, out of the crowd that day and and, and but, but he was a man of God and I would sit with him in the early days. You, you know, I've been here almost 23 years as senior pastor and for those first eight or ten years I'd say, Pastor Book, this is going on, and we're thinking about building these Sunday school classes, but it's, it's $40,000 more than we thought at first, and you know, those don't sound as big now as they did then, those numbers, but I was a little bit afraid, and he talked about the budget, and he would speak with his wisdom, and he'd say, you know, work with the elders and make sure you're getting everything through, and then he would say, you know, that sounds safe to me, son. I think that's good. You work it out with the elders and keep going in unity, and, and he just brought comfort to a young man who was scared about things, And then there's my dad, Ray Russell, who is here in the second service, who's my mentor. You know, mentors will help you go a direction you wouldn't go sometimes, and it's God's direction. You say, well, me and God are tight, you know, he's the tall one right here, and I don't need anybody else. Yes, you do. You need mentors. You need the community of faith. I remember saying to my dad, he asked me when I was 26 years old, are you going to enter Uh, interview for the district youth director position for the Assemblies of God. That's 200 churches, 70 youth pastors, 34 events a year with 10,000 kids. Are you going to interview for that position? Because they asked me to. I said, no, dad, I'm not going to interview. And he said, why? I said, because I'm so young and those other youth pastors have been around forever. They're the best youth pastors in the state. I wouldn't even choose me on this one. I'm not going to interview. And he said, hey, didn't you tell me last week that you'd walk through every door that the Lord opened just to see if that was the door? And I said, yeah, I guess I did say that. He said, well, this is an open door. Son, walk through it. If it's not the Lord, he'll show you, and it'll be a good process for you anyway. Even if you don't get it, it'll be great. And just to go through the interview process, it'll be a good experience. So I went and saw 16 presbyters in blue suits. It was really scary as we talked about this position across the state. And and they said, what would you do if you became district youth director? And I said, as honest as I could, I have no idea. And they all cracked up. They've, but somehow, someway, I was the David behind the scenes that no one would have chosen for that position. And God brought me into that. And there were six amazing years where thousands of kids came to Jesus Christ across their state. Just wonderfully productive years. I might not have done it had not I listened to my mentor who said, you need to interview. I thank God for the way he... Put the word deep in my dad's heart. I wish everybody had that. I know you don't, but there's a mentor who'll come alongside you the same way that God would lead you to. Get a mentor, someone who's more spiritually and emotionally mature than you, someone you can trust, someone who's steeped in the scripture and ask them to walk with you. Look on the screen. Mentoring is is something Jesus did with at least three of his disciples. He mentored Peter, James, and John more closely than the other disciples. And not only were they blessed, the whole world was blessed through them. And that leads us to our last directive God would give us when life gets hard. Trust God. Trust that God is still going to bless your life. And I say this because if you're going through a hard time, the temptation of the enemy is to whisper in your ear and say that God doesn't love you, right? That God doesn't care. And you just want to just move away and say, I, I don't know if I can trust him anymore. And that seems so obviously, tr- obvious, trust God that he wants to bless you, but we, we move to a place where we think he doesn't like us as much as the other Christians, the other ones who got healed, the other ones who've been blessed, because we had a hard thing happen. Naomi was bitter in this passage. If you, if you read the book of Ruth, she said, my God has forsaken me. And the, the waters of Mara, which means bitterness. And, and she thinks, you know, he let my husband die, I let my kids die. But somehow she keeps moving towards God. That just goes to show you, God, God loves you even when you don't get it all just right. Even when words come out of your mouth, you know, that aren't just right. He loves you so much, he'll keep leading you. And somehow she found enough faith to move where he was saying to go and to trust that he was still wanting to bless her life and she moved forward. This is for you now. If you're in a hard place and you're having a difficult time believing that God wants to bless your life, Hebrews eleven six. Without faith, it is impossible to please God because anyone who comes to him must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who earnestly seek him. A great portion of faith, and we must have faith, To please God, a great portion of it entails believing that he exists and will reward you as you seek him. He loves you. He wants to bless you. And you have to believe that he will reward you as you seek him. Dare to put your hope in God in this season where it's difficult. Look at the blessings she receives, Ruth, as she sought God with her whole heart. She clung to the community of faith. She followed the wisdom of her mentor. Watch what happens. Verse 7. When Boaz had finished eating and drinking and was in good spirits, he went over to lie down at the far end of the grain pile. Ruth approached quietly, uncovered his feet and lay down. In the middle of the night, something startled the man and he turned and discovered a woman lying at his feet. Who are you? He asked. I am your servant Ruth, she said. Spread the corner of your garment over me since you are my kinsman redeemer. I'll explain that in a moment. The Lord bless you, my daughter, he replied. This kindness is greater than that which you showed earlier. You've not run after the younger men, whether rich or poor. And now, my daughter, don't be afraid. I will do for you all you ask. All my fellow townsmen know that you are a woman of noble character. Although it is true that I am near of kin, there's a kinsman redeemer nearer than I. Stay here for the night, and in the morning, if he wants to redeem good, let him redeem. But if he does not, and he's not willing, as surely as the Lord lives, I will do it, lie here until morning. So let's talk about kinsman redeemer quickly here. Since God has assigned each family of the tribe of Israel a section of land, this land is extremely important, and it still is today in Israel, and that's part of that whole battle thing you see in the Middle East. God assigned them land way, way back. And in order to make... Sure, it stayed in the family. The kinsman-redeemer law was instituted. If a man died and left a widow with no sons, his nearest relative would be given the opportunity to buy his land and marry his widow so that she could have sons to carry on the deceased's name. Thank God this doesn't carry on today. It was just for the Old Testament, but it's the way it was. This relative would be obligated at his own expense to buy back the property. and Now remember, Naomi's husband Elimelech left his land. Someone else owns it, but a kinsman redeemer, the, the person who owned it, had to let the kinsman redeemer buy it back if it was asked for. So they're back and they don't have the land anymore. And they need a kinsman redeemer to move in the place of blessing that the Lord would call them to. This relative would be obligated, the kinsman redeemer, at his own expense to buy that property and give it back to the relative who had sold it. If the nearest relative refused to be the kinsman, then the next closest of kin would take on the role for the redeemer. I know it's a little complex, but I'm giving it to you, believing that you're extremely intelligent. There there was a catch, however, to all of this. The kinsman redeemer couldn't make the decision to redeem on his own. He had to be asked by the widow. So she would go and say, will you be my kinsman? That's what happened. That's what the instruction that Naomi gave Ruth. He's a relative. He can be your kinsman redeemer. And of course, she's from Moab, so they're not blood relatives. And, 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 and you go and you do this. She's a wise woman who's giving great counsel, and that's what's going on here. So Boaz goes to the next of kin, and he says, hey, there's this land, and, and we need a kinsman redeemer. And he goes, yeah, I'll buy the land. And then Boaz said, verse 5 of chapter 4, On the day you buy the land from Naomi and from Ruth the Moabitess, you acquire the dead man's widow in order to maintain the name of the dead with his property. At this, the kinsman redeemer said, essentially, Whoa, then I cannot redeem it because I might endanger my own estate. You redeem it yourself. I cannot do it. I think he meant his life might be endangered. He's a smart man. In essence, I believe he's saying, Bro, my wife would kill me if I do this. One wife is enough. There's no way... My wife's going to go for this, you go. So we see in verse 13, Boaz took Ruth and she became his wife. What a beautiful love story this is in the Bible. And then he went to her and the Lord enabled her to conceive and she gave birth to a son. The woman said to Naomi, now they're saying this to Naomi and they're coming back to the community of faith, praise be to the Lord who this day has not left you without a kinsman redeemer, may he become famous throughout Israel. He will renew your life and sustain you in your old age for your daughter-in-law who loves you and who is better to you than seven sons has given him birth. God always has a plan. It was a great love story and he had a plan there but he had a plan even bigger. The loss of family members, there was a plan that was even bigger. His ultimate plan is to build his kingdom and to bless your life. Let's go to Matthew for just a moment. We can't escape this. Verse five, I'm sorry I'm going a little long, but I'm just about to wrap up. Someone said, you know what that means when a pastor says I'm about to wrap up? Absolutely nothing. But, <laughs> but I'm, I'm gonna try to make it mean something. Boaz, the father of Obed, now this is the genealogy of Christ. We're in the New Testament now. Whose mother was Ruth, All oh my word. The Moabitess who was in such pain, who came into that setting, is in the lineage of Jesus Christ. Wow. I believe that God would do this with Rahab and with others when we see these lineages. He brings you know, a prostitute. He brings someone from a foreign land who served a foreign God because he wants us all to know that we can be redeemed by Jesus Christ, the kinsman. I'll explain that in just a moment. But look at verse 16. It goes on in the lineage. Jacob, the father of Joseph, the husband of Mary, of whom was born Jesus who is called Christ. Put your hope and trust in God. He wants to bless you and he may have something greater in mind than you could ever fathom. So I want you to know as I close here that Jesus, did I say that twice? Second close. Jesus is our kinsman redeemer. There's a parallel in the story. He sent, God sent his only son to die on a cross in our place. Jesus purchased heaven for us that eternal dwelling place, when we couldn't purchase it for ourselves. We can't make it to heaven on our own. We're all sinners, outsiders like Ruth. But God made a way in his grace that is so rich that we could all be grafted into the family of God if we'll just receive the grace offered to the kinsman redeemer, Jesus Christ. He loves to bless people. Jesus loves to save people. And if you give him a chance, there's no end to the great things he can do for you, in you, and through you.